Welcome to Classical Etc., a show that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. All right, so we're back again for another episode of Classical Etc. And today's episode, we're going to talk a lot about science and the role of science in classical education. But before we get there, I actually want to ask you guys, what are you reading right now? Tanya, what are you reading right now? I'm finishing up Mere Christianity for the third time. Okay. And I'm reading um, Hope in Times of Fear by Timothy Keller, Getting Ready for the Resurrection, <laughs> and um, a fluff book. And I'm reading Farmer Boy. Nice. Because uh, Lee and I are working on a little project. So you mentioned uh, Mere Christianity. You've read it before. You I, said. This is my third time. What do you like about Mere Christianity? I feel like it has been foundational to my faith, and I didn't really realize that until the third time. When I started reading it again, and Ian and I were talking about it because he's been rereading it too. And, and Ian is someone who works here. Oh, yes. Ian that I work with. Um, and he and I both were just kind of shocked at how much it had influenced our faith and our belief about doc- certain doctrines. Have you guys read Mere Christianity, Paul? I've started it. <laughs> That's about as far as I've gotten. Okay, where I don't are you know. At? I think I'm. I think I got through part two. If I remember, there's part five, five parts. I think. I don't I remember how many parts. Part. And what are your initial impressions? My initial impressions. Uh, maybe I have to defend this with saying, you know, because I'm a, I was born and raised Catholic, like. I don't have to. I didn't have. I didn't grow up having to define my doctrine, hmm. right? So I dove straight into that philosophy and theology. And so as I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's 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 nothing earth shattering to me, um, or having to help me figure out my you know where I'm at. And so I'm just it's, it, I. It feels like in some ways philosophy and theology light to me. It feels mere. It feels mere, yes. Yeah, he's like definitely making arguments that are compelling. Yeah, for, abs- I, but it's it's very relational and logical, and it's not rooted in kind of a deeper research or something right, like that. Right, right, and I mean, I, and I think it's you know for what it's attempting to do, I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think when I first read when I read it the first time, I was very young. And my mm. and I was really trying to figure things out. And I think, you know, we it's in our apologetics class for seniors in high school. And I think that's the perfect time for that book because it really does help help you think about why you believe the things you do mm-hmm. and and what you're what you're gonna go. I don't agree with everything sure. in mere Christianity, but it did heavily influence me. And I do think it's a very good uh, book to send students to college mm-hmm. with. But I do think, I do wonder if I were reading it the first time now, if I would feel the same way about it as I do. Because no, your beliefs would already yes. be somewhat right. solid. But yeah. I feel like that book made my beliefs mm-hmm. somewhat solid. Yeah. I read it in high school and it was very foundational for mm-hmm. me. But I returned to it in seminary and yeah, definitely wasn't as didn't find it as gripping right. I, because I think of what you guys are talking about. Martin, have you read it? Uh, I have. I've read it several times. I read it first, I think, maybe in late high school, again in college, and then I taught it uh, at Highlands Latin School. And that about makes 10 a years difference. Ago, when and it you does teach make a difference. It. Um, and it, it struck me once again last time I read it just 
his casual approach. Mm. He talks in in normal everyday language. Um, it, Richard Brookheiser, the 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 political writer, once said that uh, you know Chesterton. It was a contrast with Chesterton, which is an interesting contrast because Chesterton affected uh, C.S. Lewis's thought so much. Uh, Chesterton addresses a crowd or a rally. Um, Lewis addresses you. Hmm. He said, Chesterton charts the world. Lewis grasps your lapel. Sure. And it's so true. Uh, and and the last time I read it, I was reading it a- along with Chesterton's orthodoxy because they're both in our uh, Christian studies program in high school. And uh, and that contrast really struck me, how Chesterton is 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 so fabulous in the way he writes. And, and, and Lewis is just very plain. And he's the best explainer. Um, that you can find for anything, and yeah. and particularly for Christianity. Every couple of weeks when we do these episodes, I want to check in with you as to what you guys are reading, but due to time constraints, Martin, tell us what you're reading, and then we'll, we'll move on after that. Uh, reading several things. I'm reading My Antonia by Willa Cather. Hmm. Uh, I'm reading Thucydides' Peloponnesian War, and finishing up a Louis L'Amour book. Nice. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, My Antonia is my kind of primary novel. I have one kind of classic novel I'm always reading, and I listen to books, uh, sure. novels primarily on, on Audible, um, because I have such a long drive to work. But I, I, My Antonia has been recommended by people. You know, I've been doing a lot of reading about the American West in in the last couple of years, and it's a very highly regarded book in terms of a realistic portrayal uh, of, of the West, uh, it, that book is mentioned with uh, O.E. Rolvag's Giants in the Earth, which was written in Norwegian. It was Norwegian immigrants. And of course, in, in Willa Cather's book, there's, you, you see a lot of these immigrants from, from European countries. And you, you don't re- until you read books like this, you don't really realize uh, how many of how much of the the settlement of the western frontier was by immigrants mm. and so it's just a just a great story she's she's such a great descriptive writer mm. uh, so i'm really enjoying that that's great have you read that tanya my antonia mm-hmm. yeah i've read everything willa cather oh. wrote i really like her how about you what am i reading or yes. have i read willa cather I don't think you've read Willa Cather. I have not read Willa Cather, no. <laughs> okay, well, maybe you can read my Antonia. Maybe we should be reading what each other's reading. <laughs> um, I just finished Hannah Coulter again Yeah. for our Memoria Press Little Book Club. Did you? Oh, you've read Hannah Coulter. I have read H- Hannah mm-hmm. Coulter. Right now I'm reading Plutarch's Lives. Okay. When we've been making these famous men videos that Memoria yes. Press puts out, I always read the, mm-hmm. the live sections. and. Some of the stories are just fantastic. And so I wanted to go back and not just read selectively. I wanted to try and read kind of just front to back. When I there the sections are like between twenty-five to like forty pages. So you can sit down in one or two readings and you can read the whole section. Um and so I've enjoyed doing that recently. I've also reading a a modern novel that's very interesting, uh called White Noise by Don DeLillo. It's kind of an interesting character. Um and then I am Is reading, that fiction? It's fiction. Mm-hmm. Look at you reading more fiction. Yeah, trying to read a little <laughs> more fiction. And then I'm also reading a book about the Milwaukee Bucks championship run last year in 2021 when they won the title because I'm a big Milwaukee Bucks what, fan. What sport is that? It's basketball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought Milwaukee, it sounds like hockey. Yeah. Well, you know, we don't have a hockey team. Oh, well, that's odd. <laughs> Paul, what are you reading Wisconsin. right now? Um, 
I'm the novel I'm reading is Monsignor Quixote by Graham Greene. Uh, I think our listeners are going to get tired of me talking. Do you about like Graham that? Green. I'm only a little bit into it, and I found the first chapter hysterical. I mean, mm. it's 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 funny. It's funny. Um, I and, thought it sounded good when you were telling me. Yeah, that. the synopsis is is uh, you know is funny, but the, I mean the the first chapter, the priest Monsignor Don Quixote who then gets promoted to be Monsignor Quixote because he fed this Italian bishop. He plied him with wine and fed him horse meat. Um, I mean, he's he's just a very simple man, right? And it's Graham Greene's, I think, tribute to Cervantes and 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 sort of dealing with with things that Graham Greene often deals with when it comes to faith. And so I no, I I I was listening to Tracy Lee Simmons Memorial College videos on Brideshead Revisited. And he, because he's talking about Evelyn Waugh, he brings up Graham Greene and he says, it's dangerous for me. This is Tracy saying, it's dangerous for him anytime he picks up Graham Greene because as soon as he starts reads one, he wants to go read them all, hmm. everything he wrote. And that's exactly what I'm going through is I just, I'm on a Graham Greene kick. So read them all. I love to I read an yeah. author yeah. like that. You know, somebody you really like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like it if the characters are connected, mm. like book to book oh, to like book. Oh, like world. Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yes. So I wanted to move to do something else a little bit different that we haven't done in any of our conversations before. And that is we are, you know, book people and we work at a book company and we love the books that we write and that we work on. And I wanted to actually talk about individual books with you guys and the roles that those books have in our curriculum, but then also just the ways that we, experiences that we've had with these books. Because for some, they may just seem like a piece of curriculum. But for us, these are books that we are thinking about a lot. Um, and so I chose one to fit our theme of science. That is the Book of Trees. Um, and they teach this in the sixth grade at Highlands Land School in the Memorial Press curriculum. It's in the seventh grade. So, Tony, what's your relationship to the Book of Trees? Um, before the Book of Trees was uh, Cheryl Lowe. And I taught sixth grade. And she wanted me to teach trees. And I didn't know enough about trees to satisfy her. So she would come <laughs> into my classroom <laughs> with her big trees binder and teach trees to my students. And it was fascinating. So basically, I sat at her feet one more time in a science class every week. She would show up to my class to teach trees Mm. without fail. Like, I thought when she first said that, I thought, oh, what if she doesn't show up and I'm going to be stuck here without a curriculum? But she had this big binder and it had leaves, different leaves. And she was so excited about trees. And she really ramped up my students to be excited about trees. And so we had to do we had to do trees. But this is after, you know, we'd had that couple of years where we did survey courses where we really didn't teach anything in depth. And so at the point where she decided we were going to do nature study, trees, for me, as I told Paul earlier today, we were talking about this, that this Doing trees in the sixth grade, I think, is just the culmination for her of the nature studies because they, trees were her very favorite thing. In fact, the day she died, like hours before she died, she was telling Brian and Lee that they needed to make sure that they had particular trees here on this campus labeled and that the students learned to observe them. Mm-hmm. Like She named them. Unfortunately, none of us can remember that which ones of those we've labeled them all because we, you know, just in the shock of it all. And I guess the trauma, we've talked about it since and we couldn't remember which trees she particularly cared about. So our students have to do them all. 
Yeah. <laughs> Paul, why do you think it's important that grade school students would study trees for an entire year like they do at Highlands Line School? I, I lament my lack of tree knowledge. And this is going to reflect a little bit poorly on Cheryl because I remember when she was my teacher, I remember going out around that church building, whichever church that was, over Barrett on Barrett or something, and identifying trees with her as a little kid. And, you know, so there's like I, there's like two trees that I that I can identify that I remember from that class. And I and I'm constantly lamenting when I'm out walking through the woods, whether I'm hunting, whether I'm doing something on the farm, whether it's just for a hike. And and I kind of I, I just sort of see the world non-observantly um, because I, I, I can't. In nature, it's hard for me to pick out this is that kind of tree, this, this is that kind of tree. And I can pick out a few, but I, I was just recently out clearing uh, out some trees for my pigs, you know, just try to give, give them more space. And, you know, I'm out there with a the chainsaw cutting those down, and my dad is with the wood chipper, you know, feeding stuff in so we get wood chips for everything else we're doing. And at one point he stops me, like comes up and taps me on the shoulder, and he goes, that's a locust. Leave that. You're going to get good fence posts out of that. Like I... And this is without leaves on it or anything. He just he noticed from the tree itself, and I I just I feel that I'm lacking in something because I don't have that knowledge of the world, and it's a world that I live in, right? If, which is exactly her point in nature studies yep. is to give students an appreciation and knowledge of the world they live in, and what better use of our time? You know, she was always big on time on task, sure. and there's just there's nothing better than. But I feel the same way about birds. I don't recognize the names of birds or their songs, and I hear them and think, you know, that was a real hole in my mm. education, too. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like if I could go out and recognize the distinct songs and associate it with the name of a bird, I would be able to actually, like, perceive what I'm hearing. I but know. instead, it's just, like, white noise because right. I don't quite have a grasp It would be so exciting to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Martin, when you reflect on the importance of trees for a grammar school student, do you think that there's something unique about a student studying them in sixth grade versus going and specializing on trees later after they graduate from high school or college and just making it a hobby? Well, I think one of the points of any kind of natural science is wonder. And children have an ability sometimes to wonder more better than adults. I think that start. I think you need to start that early. I remember when uh, my dad grew up in the hills of South Carolina, and I remember visiting my grandmother when I was little. We drove across the United States because we. I grew up in California. He he had moved out to California, and I remember going there, and I remember him taking me around and showing me the things on in their yard, the things that he had grew up, grown up with. There was an apple tree out there with a beehive under it, and there was an old shed where uh, he had, and his dad was a carpenter, and he learned carpentry from his father, and he would make things in the shed. And I remember him one day pointing. There were this. There was this line of oak tree of a excuse me pine trees along the property line. I mean, they were huge. And he says, you, you see that line of trees over there? And, and I said, yeah. And he said, I planted those as little seedlings. And I remember just being amazed that something that big had been planted by a boy probably my age. Um, just, just the wonder of the effect you can have on something and what time, how time will cultivate that for you. And I just, I, and so I, I, I was 
that just that occurred to me though. I thought that is that the reason why I think trees are so cool now, is <laughs> because my dad. I just thought that was so cool that my dad had done that. Um, and I don't, um, <clears throat> I don't know a lot about trees. I don't know all the things in in these books. I have that that set of books under my coffee table because I'm wanting to 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 look more and just to be able to name things. But I planted a lot of trees on my property. Uh, I and and to to plant something like this. I mean, just in terms of the hands-on thing about this, I planted a, a two little seedling tulip poplars, literally two feet high in my front yard. One of them is thirty feet high now. And so to watch these things that you planted grow, and you get to know them sort of intimately. There's this there's this big oak where my mother lives in Kansas, that's over two hundred. 300 years old called Searles Oak. And uh, we came back last time and we walk, we always try to walk by to see this great big old oak tree. And I was trying to get the, the acorns from it so I could plant some one related <laughs> to Searles Oak in my yard. And, and she says, well, you, you, you have those big tulip poplars in front. Yeah. And I said, yeah. And the big one, I'm going to name it Catherine's poplar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I've got trees. And so I can identify all the trees that I planted. I mean, yeah. you, that way you got some of this hands-on relation to it. You know, I, I can spot a red bud, I, I, a, a tulip poplars. Um, I've got a, got a um, catalpa, a northern catalpa in my backyard, things I bought from nurseries and planted. That says help me to mm-hmm. identify trees. But, you know, Maples and oaks. There are so many different varieties. That's that's why I wanted to to delve into this book a little. Was because I want to know the difference between the different kinds of maples and the different kinds of oaks. Uh, you know, and then there's all these hybrids that they've come out with that right. make this job more difficult. But yeah, it's just they're fun to pay attention yeah, to. Absolutely. Now, there's one question I didn't prep you guys with, and that is: this book of trees is an introduction to botany through the study of trees. Why do you think that? it was important that we introduce botany through the study of trees and not necessarily some other kind of shrubbery or, or plant life that we could have introduced botany through. Well, I think it's the, I mean, the trees are sort of the most apparent, right? Um, I mean, it's, it's an example Aristotle uses, right? I mean, it's, 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 you walk out the door you're not you're not paying attention to the grasses now. Grasses are fascinating, actually. Um, when you start having to to, when I had to start learning about grasses for pasture, I was shocked about the amount of grasses that were out there. But in sort of our normal everyday lives, trees I think are are sort of the most um, prominent. Say that again. Prominent. Prominent. Yeah, and mm-hmm. in easy to like most knowable in some ways because. You, you know, it's it's not something real small and real fine. It's a big thing. And and so you you want to introduce the student to that which they which is sort of most in their face. Yeah. Right. And, and when you're trying to introduce a, a, a science like that, I think anyone who's trying to patch a like a dry spot in their yard with grass is guessing, amening and, and saying yes to your <laughs> comment of how many grasses there are. It's miserable. Yeah. Yes, we have two different colors in our yard as we speak. I think another reason why introducing Bonnie through the study of trees is maybe an interesting choice is because we are fronting um, the taxonomies and the identification of uh, these different kinds of um, things that our students experience in nature, like trees, mammals, insects, 
over top of the dissecting of the different things that they're going to meet in science. We do a little bit of that, botany, insects, and putting in discrete parts. But the primary goal of our nature studies is give them names for the things that they're going to see. Yes. Um, and then later on, they're going to dive deeper. That's absolutely true. And I think, uh, you know, people, a lot of people don't know that Aristotle wrote works on botany and zoology. Right. The two two kinds of biology. And um, I, I always thought that's interesting because the, the, the greatest, one of, one of the greatest philosophers of all time, and he was very much interested in plants hmm. and animals. I, yeah. I, I don't know what that says, but it, well, I think it's a good transition into kind of the last thing that I wanted to talk about with you all, and that is that we were at a conference in Toledo the last couple of days, and one of the comments that I got from someone is they asked, is classical education for word people? And I mentioned this to Tanya. And I said, what are word people? And I responded, <laughs> someone who has an affinity for the humanities or who likes reading and writing, but doesn't really like math or doesn't really, isn't really that interested in the sciences. So that would be me. I am a word person. <laughs> yeah. So the question is, is classical education for the people who are interested in science because all classical educators go around talking about Latin and great books. So what about the sciences? Well, I think first of all, um, in some ways, science is the new religion of our day. And so it's never been knocked down uh, several pegs like Latin and, and phonics and reading have been. And so I think, you know, as, as the classical movement started, it was just sort of a natural thing to say, we don't need to hammer that. That needs to be taught. It's an essential part of education, but it doesn't need to be hammered, you know, but, uh, but absolutely science needs to be part of a classical education. Science, classical education is for everybody. Well, and I think you have to make a distinction between nature study and science in its modern utilitarian sense mm. um, because the, 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 the tendency is, is very different. Uh, you know, the, the, the tendency in, in a lot of modern science has been toward taking everything apart and trying to get down to its smallest element when that's not what nature study, this is not what Charles Darwin was doing, this is not what, what any of the great naturalists were doing. They were just beholding the thing as a whole thing. They were beholding an animal as an animal and trying to explain its wholeness, not just, you know, dissecting it. Just dissecting things is going to tell you something, but it's not going to tell you a lot of other things that you probably really want to know. So I, and the reason I really like the way our program, and I, I didn't come up with these labels till later after we had done it, but... Uh, nature and narrative. Um, we want to be able to go out and experience these things as whole things and wonder at a tree, uh, at, at, a, at an animal, at an insect, uh, and and not just think about what's inside them and how we can cut them up and you know do, do all that sort of thing. Uh, that and this science as a human project. Mm. All right, there's this whole story of discovery, of scientific discovery that's there for us to learn. And in like the Tyner books that, that we sell, th there's a lot about the story of science and the great discoverers and, and how the things we know about nature were discovered and the inhuman inventiveness that went into it. I think, I think those are the things that, that non-scientists, which is most of us, need to know. Our whole science uh, 
education is set up to train scientists. But most of us are not going to be professional scientists. Most of us are going to be people in the natural world who just want to know things like trees. And, mm -hmm. and, and so our program is, is, is not meant to train professional scientists. It's, it's meant for normal people to be able to appreciate nature better. And, and I think that's that's the strength of our program. In the grammar school. Mm -hmm. But then, when I mean, when we get our ninth graders do biology, like right. a high school biology course using a high school biology text, we do chemistry, we do physics. Um, so we get there. But Cheryl's whole point was that there's no way you can prepare for that in grammar school anyway. Mm -hmm. So why waste your time? giving students things to do that aren't a good use of their time and appreciation of nature before we start dissecting things, mm -hmm. which we end up doing in high school, which is also the reason we carry nature's beautiful order. Mm -hmm. When we first were considering that, I remember, Paul, you told me that it's really good before we get to high school science because it treats the whole animal as a being Mm -hmm. And before we dissect it into a million pieces. Well, and I mean, we talk about when we talk about logic, right? I mean, you've got, you know, your your two sort of skills, which is analysis, breaking something down into its parts and synthesis, which is putting those parts back into a whole, right? And so you start to see the relationships of those things. And so if we're really teaching science classically, like the classical model has something to say to science teachers of you need to think about this in a relationship as you're as you're teaching students how to think you need to start instead of just saying here's a list of you know the different parts of a cell or whatever yeah you they need to know that but then this goes together to you know all those are parts of a cell and you add these cells you know these kinds of cells together and this is what you know creates this organ or whatever you know and to help them think about it not purely as martin is saying to, to dig down into the, the tiniest fragment, but to say, okay, now, now how does this come together into a whole? Right, and I, there's a, a friend of one of my kids uh, who is a bio, who wanted to go into uh, botany. And she went out to California to go to school, and she had a very hard time trying to find uh, a professor to work with who was actually interested in botany mm. and not some commercial application mm. of... Uh, molecular biology right. or something, because that's where all the money is. They in in uh, the Wall Street Journal had an article about this recently about how um, this sort of nature deficit disorder that that the the Federal Department of Forestry cannot find biologists who are able to identify plants. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is a Sari's situation. It's because we're not, that is just not a priority in our in our education. And yeah, that requires taking biology and all those things. But still the, the, the point is that, that one of the major um, aspects of science always needs to be going back to nature itself hmm. and not how you can use it uh, for some commercial application. Right. Creating wonder in our students at Absolutely. nature rather than the ability to master it or mm -hmm. manipulate it. It's sort of that Baconian mastering nature to see what you can get from it as opposed to just being able to wonder at God's oh. creation. I, I have a story in that regard where I was just mastered by nature. Sure. <laughs> I was telling Tanya this morning, I got piglets over the weekend <laughs> and I thought I had it all figured out. I had my electric fence. They were They were going to be mastered by me. 
And I was chasing <laughs> these piglets through the pasture. They got through the fence. It was, it was hysterical, but I also realized that they've bested me. Like I've hit my limit. <laughs> You know, so you basically are admitting you were outwitted by a bunch of piglets. I was outwitted by a bunch of piglets. <laughs> Absolutely, want to get and that they on the record. Are strong, it's little thirty pound <laughs> yeah. things. They are so yeah. strong, right? And fast, really fast. And yet they're on four legs. And I'm on two. Like you'd think I'd anyway. But it's it, but you know it just teaches you like when you understand nature as a whole, like as a as not not as the parts of the pig, right? I mean, honestly, that pig's going to get butchered. Where he's he's going to be great, and then parts important. will become very important. This parts will be very important. But 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 like now, my first experience with a pig, which this is not the first time I've dealt with pigs, but golly, this was a new this this got out of hand. But is the whole pig right? Like I get to experience that pig as a being, mm. right, and not just not just its parts, and it's and it's marvelous. Yeah. And then when you fall in love with it. It's going to be really hard to slaughter it. It was really hard last year. (laughs) You bring up a good point about, you know, seeing nature as a whole. And I was thinking in response to the question, I wonder what you guys think about the question itself. Can we really say that some people are, you know, quote unquote, word people, even if you know what that means, and some people are math people? And I was reflecting on this, Tanya, because you and I were talking about this. You, you know, in this podcast just a minute ago, you said, I'm not a number person. But you also started your own tax business. You like oversee <laughs> operations here. Like, can we really say that you're not a number? You know, do you guys accept that kind of binary um, allocation of a person's being? I after I got my English degree, I got an accounting degree because I didn't want to teach, if which you know is an ironic part of my life. <laughs> but um, you know, accounting was I was, and it's the same thing that Cheryl said about what we are doing in grammar school. I was able, I was ready and able to do accounting, even though my love was literature and history and all of those humanities subjects. I don't have a love for math, as I've made clear in the past, but I was ready because I knew how to study. I knew how to think, and so I was able to succeed. I did not have a good math science background in high school at all. And I didn't take a lot of math and science in college. But as as we think now about our students, we feel like by the time they get to high school science, which is hard, that they are, because we've taught them all the skills to be good studiers, they can master it. Well, and the irony is that the best writers are writers who are grounded in in the things of the world they're mm. they they're 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 people who can use words referring to specific things to evoke something and i'm seeing that with my antonia i mean it's a very uh very uh it, it, it's a book that's really grounded in the in the the concrete experience of actual things in the world mm. and that's what makes it a great book that's what makes her a great writer and so you can't really divorce the two. I mean, literature and and the world <laughs> uh, are intimately connected, and and you know we are we are beings in the cosmos, and we're the only being in the cosmos who can wonder at it. And so I don't. I think that's really just a kind of a false dichotomy. Well, Shane, you, I mean, you asked. You said false dichotomy. You asked, is you know, are there word people? Are there math people? 
And I instead of saying a false dichotomy, I would say it kind of goes too far to the extreme. Do people have affinities? Absolutely. Right. You know, but the problem is when we take that affinity and say, that's the only thing I'm good at. Hmm. And I am very grateful for my education because it pushed me in the language department when my father is an accountant, I do have an affinity for math. Um, but, you know, because my, my education pushed me into, uh, you know, into language, like I learned an appreciation for literature and for history and for, for language itself that I would not have otherwise had, right? If I had just said, well, I'm, I'm a math guy, I can't do that stuff well. It was, you know, I mean, it was, it was content rich there and it made me more, um, you know, it made me sort of more well-formed, well-rounded as a person that I, I, you know, if I had bought into the, well, I just can do math. Well, that's all I would be doing. Which hmm. brings us back to our last podcast, right? Where we talked about tracking students in, did you say eighth grade? They start tracking them, mm-hmm. and you decide, mm-hmm. I'm a math person, or mm-hmm. I'm a literature person, mm-hmm. or I'm a history This is person. the worst thing you can We've do. We've got to do it all. Yeah. We, these students deserve it all, and we need to do it all well. You need balance. Uh, Pete Rose, who was one of the great uh, baseball players, uh, played for the Cincinnati One of the great Reds. cheaters. What's that? And one of the great cheaters. Yes, but that he was still very skilled. Uh, he was <laughs> also a great Sometimes this stuff uh, just is... <laughs> it was a gambling scandal that put him... Uh, but, but he made this great comment. He was asked one time, what... What made you such, how did you become such a great baseball player? And he said, I practice the things I'm not good at. And I think that's a principle we need to apply in education more often. If there's things we're weak on, we don't just drop those things and then just continue to do the things we're strong at doing. We need to, we need to balance it out. And you know, people like me, literature philosophy person, I need to be doing things like this uh, to, to balance myself. Yeah, that's good. So the answer is, if there's such a thing as a word person, then yes, they should have classical education. Yes. And if there's such a thing as a math and science person, yes, they should have classical mm-hmm. education. That's right. All right. Thanks for this conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.